You know, we say that one of the things that we must do is pray. Well, why? Why, why would we do that? What difference does that make? I'm looking at some of you, and it troubles you that I would ask. But seriously, what difference does it make? Are we asking? We believe that God hears our prayers. Okay, so what are we asking God to do? Are we asking God just to work in the mechanical, physical, whatever workings of the world to make something happen differently than it would? Or are we asking God to intervene on a spiritual level of which we are not able, that is beyond our reach and above our strength, because we know and recognize that as Sherlock Holmes would say, there's a spiritual game afoot. And there is a spiritual rebellion going on, and there is spiritual opposition at play in ways that is described for us that we can be aware of, but we ourselves are not wholly able often to engage at that level without God's help. And so we must pray, unless the things that we are engaged in are merely physical and flesh and blood. And yet we're told in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, we're told that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, that we are involved in a spiritual warfare. That we're to take up then the spiritual armor of God, which includes the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And along with that and the other articles of that armor, we are to pray. In fact, Paul puts the word and praying together when he says, and pray also for me, so that I, Paul, would have boldness to speak the Word of God as I ought to speak. That there's a spiritual warfare or opposition even in intimidation of we who have been given the gospel, the word of reconciliation as ambassadors for Jesus, that we would be intimidated by the spirit of this age from speaking as we ought. We pray because there's more to what's going on around us than what we see. And we, we would agree with that. We, we know that. That's why we pray. And that's the essence of what's going on in Daniel chapter 10. But Daniel chapter 10 describes it in almost fantastical ways. You're going to meet this morning one who I will call Beryllium Man. Have you ever heard of Beryllium Man before? You're going to meet Beryllium Man before. It's all, he's almost presented like a superhero kind of figure, so I thought I'd have a little fun with that. You know, I know a guy at Western Seminary, one of the profs there, a theology prof, he wrote a book, Superheroes Can't Save You. He took our American, our, our marveling over superheroes, and, and he took that concept and he said, you know, superheroes come out of our imagination, but they come out from somewhere. 
And he uses these various superheroes like Superman and Batman and Spidey and on he goes. And he uses them as illustrations, examples of ancient heresies that relate to error about who Jesus is. You see, superheroes are greater than us, but they are not quite who our God actually is. They're the same kind of imaginations out of man's longings that the Greek gods were of old. That the Greek gods were really exalted humans with all the kind of faults that humans have and yet with much greater power. It's actually a scary thing, isn't it? To have humanity's faults and weaknesses and propensities and yet with more power than we now possess. That's a scary proposition. But I remember times when I was younger that I wanted superhero powers. I wish that I could have been like one of those superheroes, that I could have powers. Have, have you ever had that? Have you ever wanted superpowers of one kind or another? Yeah, Facebook even asks you, what, what superpower would you want or what superhero would you be, right? Other nonsense like that as they use that as this one more trick to gather information from you. But consider, is it a superhero that we actually need? Who is Superman, really? The, the, the secret, actually, is Superman is actually not a man. He's greater than a man. He's not human at all. And yet God came in fully, truly, genuine human. God entered our very weak humanity in Jesus. Jesus is greater than Superman. How about, how about Batman? Well, Batman's not super at all. Do you realize that? Somebody described Batman as a, as a wealthy, well-meaning liberal. You ever thought about it that way before? Batman, he's wealth, and so his superpower is actually technology. That's his power. That's his strength. Oh, and some fine martial arts training that he got along the way as well. But, but there's nothing superhuman about Batman. How about Spider-Man. Well, there's a hybrid. Spider-Man is partly human and partly spider. I don't know about you, but to me, that's just a little creepy, isn't it? I mean, those are things that I want to squish, not look up to and get help from. Next time you're in trouble, call a giant spider to help you? I don't think so. Something wrong here. So we're going to get introduced to the reality that even our marveling over superheroes and even the, the Greeks' um, uh, imaginations of gods, and I want to suggest there's a spiritual reality behind that. Even as, and we read the psalm earlier about idols, and the idols are nothing. They have hands they can't do. They have feet they can't walk. They have mouths they can't speak. And yet, Paul says, those, that which they offer to idols, they offer to demonic spirits. There is a demonic reality behind the idol. There's a demonic reality that behind idol worship oppresses humanity. And if you don't believe it, go to India with a ray of hope on one of their next visits. And you will be confronted with the reality of demonic spirits oppressing people behind human idolatry. It'll be right in your face. Ephesians tells us there is a spiritual reality behind the scene. And Daniel is 
is confronted with that reality in Daniel chapter 10. In many ways, Daniel chapter 10 kind of starts off fairly normally. It gives us, you know, the, the time, the dating, when, when this happens, and where he's at, and what he's doing. And Daniel's, Daniel's old. Daniel's in his 80s. In Daniel chapter 10, Daniel seems to be a little discouraged. There's a tone. There's a down. There. He's, he's mourning. He's grieving. There's something that's not right that Daniel's discouraged. And in that discouragement, there's an intensity in prayer. There's a, there's a rituals of mourning in his prayers as if Daniel is praying the Psalms of Lament. Daniel is praying more like Jeremiah. Okay? The weeping prophet. That's who, that's who Daniel sounds like in these prayers, I think, to some extent. We, we, we have to suggest there's some good reasons we could suppose as to what's going on historically at that time. Because it's in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Now, chapter 10, I should say this just by way of introduction. Chapters 10, 11, and 12 all go together as a set. This is the final vision of the book of Daniel. And chapter 10 is the introduction to the core of the vision, which is in chapter 11 and bleeds a little into chapter 12 before the conclusion. So chapter 10 is just an introduction. We're not even going to get to the vision today, okay? So if you want to check out early, go now and watch the Seahawks, I guess you could. But there's something for us here. There really is. Now, this must be an important vision if there's a whole chapter of introduction to it that sets it up. And in that introduction, there is an introduction to the whole three chapters in verse 1 that gives us the background. The third year of Cyrus, a word was revealed to Daniel. That word is going to be unfolded for us in chapter 11. This Daniel, who is named Belteshazzar, it's the same Daniel we've known all along. And the word was true. The word was true. Oh, boy. Think about that in an age of ambiguity. The word was true. That's going to be said again in verse 21, that this is a true book. This is reliable. You can count on it. It's going to be said again in chapter 11 in verse 2, that this is true. So God has a true word here that he's going to give us through Daniel. It was concerning a great conflict, a great conflict that's evident on the earth, but we're going to find in chapter 11, without spilling the beans early, that there is a huge spiritual conflict going on behind the earthly conflict that is going to play out running from Syria to Egypt with Israel caught in between. In those days, verse 2, Daniel was mourning for three weeks. In that, he is fasting. He's denying himself. He said, hey, no delicacies or meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all. I didn't groom myself properly. Maybe he didn't shave. Maybe it was November. Maybe he doesn't use any hair product. Maybe no curling irons. He's, he's denying himself. Luxuries, delicacies, good food. He's gone back to bread and water or, bread and, or, or water and vegetables, almost like chapter 1. He's laid all the stuff of these present kingdoms aside because he's longing for something more. He's fasting in the midst of this prayer. We, we know that his mourning and fasting concerns prayer because in verse 12 we're going to be told that as soon as he humbled himself in the fasting and his, his words were spoken that heaven answers. So we know Daniel is in prayer here. 
Didn't know myself. Then on the 24th day of the first month, as he's standing on the bank of the great river of the Tigris, then he lifted his eyes, and he meets Burlium Man. But before we get to Burlium Man, I just want to uh, make a few points here about Daniel's lament, Daniel's prayer, Daniel's fasting, that he gives up. He, this, he's serious in prayer, and, and what, what is he praying about? What's happening in those two years in particular? Two years earlier, Israel, Israelis have been sent from Babylon back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Cyrus said so. And when they got there, the people of the land say, oh, you want to build a temple? Hey, we can help with that. We know something about your God. You know, We were brought into this land, and we found out that there was a God here. And so we've kind of known something about him, so we could help build the temple, and we'll help you fashion it in ways that would be appropriate. And no, 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 we don't want that kind of help. We're going to build the temple the way that God has said, and King Cyrus has allowed us to. And enabled us for. And so then the people got irate. What, you don't want our help? You don't want our input? You don't want our ideas about your temple and your God? Then all of a sudden it got ugly. And they opposed. And they hired lawyers. And they caused problems. And they delayed building permits. And on it went. And so the people were discouraged. that I guess it's just not time to build. And the temple waits. The construction stops. And it languishes. And Daniel knows about this because he's back at Babylon where some of these counselors that were hired, this is Ezra chapter 4, they're hired and they're sent back and cause trouble in the administration. And Daniel would be aware of this. And Daniel was longing for the restoration of Israel and their right worship of God because that's what they need most. And he sees it being stymied. He sees it being opposed. And he's pleading to God. He's denying himself. In fact, in the first month, he's denying himself Passover because Israel has not been redeemed out of Babylon in order to worship. They've been redeemed out of Babylon and left in the wilderness, separated from the worship that God has called them to. And Daniel, in this first month, would be eating meat. He would be eating a Passover lamb. Daniel, in this first month, would be taking wine, the cups of the Passover. And yet, he does not. That's interesting to me. Daniel is grieved. Daniel is in mourning. Daniel is discouraged. And Daniel prays. Daniel prays for three weeks, and it's not until the 24th day. It's not until, if he started on day four, it's not until day 24 that he gets an answer. Would you last that long? Well, first of all, I should ask, what do we care about that much that we would give up things we enjoy to devote ourselves to fasting and prayer? Sometimes, apparently, folks, that matters. And will we keep praying? When you don't get an answer, when things don't change right away, when circumstances continue, have you been there where you've prayed and nothing happened? And you waited a day and a two and a week went by and another week went by and nothing happened. Have you been there? And our conclusion is what? God is not hearing our prayers. But that's not true here. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 of Daniel chapter 10. He said to me, fear not, Daniel, from the, from the first day when you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. There's two things going on there. First of all, 
God hears right away. God hears right up front. And this angel, this beryllium, we haven't even talked about beryllium man yet. I'm sorry, I jumped past that. This, this fantastic being who's now standing before Daniel, he comes there, he is sent there because Daniel prays. Well, who shows up when Daniel prays? Well, let's go back and read about beryllium man. There in, in verse 5, I lifted up my eyes and looked, behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl or beryllium. It's got this glow about it. His face is like the appearance of lightning. His eyes are flaming torches. His arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze. And the sound of his words are like the sound of a multitude. This is not just your average traveler. No, this is somebody big. This is somebody special. This is somebody suprahuman. This is somebody otherly, otherworld. This, this is, this, some people even want to go so far comparing this to Revelation chapter 1 that maybe this is Jesus himself showing up, standing before Daniel as the Lord stood before Joshua. But we don't think so because he says along the way that over the 21 days, he was hindered by the princes of Persia. There are other entities, there are other powers that were able to hinder Beryllium man, this angelic being, so that he's not able to get through to Daniel. He is hindered, he is opposed, and that would not be true of the Lord himself. Who is able to stand against the Lord? So it's not the Lord here. It's one, of, it's one that he has sent and one whom he sends Michael the archangel or Michael the prince as he's called here because these beings are referred to as princes. So Michael the, the, the prince is, has to come to his help in order to deliver him from the opposition. Verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, read that, one of the archangels, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings or the rulers of Persia. And so he was hindered by spiritual entities who had as their charge to distract, to, distract, to mislead, to deceive, and to carry on their rebellion against the Lord through the human activities of these rulers of Persia. There's a spiritual entity behind the paganism. There's a spiritual reality in opposition to God. That's what's being described here. And this angel is sent to meet Daniel in the midst of the Persian Empire, and he's hindered by these spiritual powers until Michael himself engages. And he's able to get through. He comes in direct answer to Daniel's prayer. Daniel's prayer is heard immediately, even though there's a delay in Daniel seeing the answer. And he only comes because Daniel prays. Did you get that? I have come because. When you prayed, I was sent. What do you see your prayers as? Do you see your prayers as, imagine, you're in the military. And there you are, dropped behind enemy lines. And you've got nothing but a radio. That's all you've got. You've got a radio. But that radio is really all you need because with that radio, you can call in airstrikes. 
And you can see from your hilltop vantage point, you can see a patrol coming. And if they continue on their path, they would discover you. There's no way you could protect yourself from them. There's no way you could fight them off. But you don't need to fight them off because you've got a radio. You can call in an airstrike. Do you understand your prayers as a, a, a calling in heaven's air force to engage in this battle which is real around us, which is far bigger than us, and for which we need superhuman help? That's what's going on here. That's what Daniel does. That's what happens when you and I pray. We have called in superhuman, supernatural, heavenly help for options 360 this morning. Now, that's one need. Many of you came with all kinds of different needs, as Jim was describing this morning. And before you go, would you share that with somebody? Would you say, brother, sister, would you pray for me in this? Pray for one another this morning before we leave. One of the reasons we gather is we ought to be praying for one another and encouraging one another. Prayer makes a difference. Prayer is, is calling heaven's help. It is asking for superhuman help into the reality of spiritual warfare that we face. Imagine it. God's angels battling, standing against evil. Seems kind of far-fetched, huh? But, but the, the idea that there are sinister spirits, if they, if they roam the halls of Persian palaces, would that be true in Washington, D.C.? Or in governor's mansions today? Would there be spiritual beings behind the scenes leading people in ways of wickedness in opposition to God, even as Satan so long ago whispered into Eve's ear? If that's true, this is true. And we are in a whole mess that is much bigger than us. And we better pray. Because you don't have a prayer otherwise. I did it on purpose. We, we need to pray in this kind of a spiritual reality. Imagine demonic policies oppressing the vulnerable, using the poor for, for one's own gain, the murdering of innocence. We heard about that this morning. It's like Herod the Great and those babies of Bethlehem, yet at a much greater and horrible scale. Is that merely human or is that beyond human evil? Daniel prays for superhuman help, and Daniel, in response to his prayer, when this angelic being comes to him, he comes to him, the word angel means messenger, and he comes to him as heaven's messenger in order to tell Daniel some things that he needs to know, not only personally, but also understand the bigger picture of what's going on in the world so that even in the setbacks, even in the opposition that Israel faces, you can know that God is going to prevail and his promises and covenant to Israel will be true. Which matters for us as well, his promises, his covenant, his future, God's glorious future for us is also true and certain. Just as reliable. So, Daniel is encouraged. Let's pick it up in verse 15. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and I was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of children of men touched my lips. Then, another, then I opened my mouth and I spoke and I said to him who stood before me, O oh my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me. I retain no strength. 
How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now, no strength remains in me. No breath is left in me. And again, one having the appearance like a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, he said these things. There's four words here for Daniel in particular that quite possibly are also for you today. There's probably something here that you need as well. He says, Daniel, O man, greatly loved. This is the second time Daniel's told that in this chapter. Uh, Daniel, you are greatly loved. These are the words that strengthen Daniel. They strengthen him so that he's able to understand the bigger picture that God is going to reveal to him. But he starts with some basics, some fundamentals, some foundations. Daniel, you are greatly loved. Behold, John says, look and consider the kind of love that God has shown toward us and that we, you and I as believers in Jesus, would be called the very sons, children, heirs of God. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. That's the kind of love that God has lifted us with. Let that sink in. Oh, how he loves you. That, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us in our place. While we were rebels against him, while we would blaspheme his name, yet then he died for us. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You are greatly loved. Remember Scotty telling us last week that this is important, this is needful. When you're opposed, you need to know God loves you. When you've been in the midst of that which you should not have done, you need to know God loves you. He loves you. Scotty said that, oh, oh Scotty, Scotty, I mean, God, he's, he's got it all together, right? He's memorized seven particular verses that he recites to himself, one every day of the week that he recites to himself that remind him specifically that God loves him. The kind of love God has for him. We are strengthened by that. Daniel is strengthened by that. Grab hold of that idea. Pick seven verses. Run with it. A year from now, you can thank Scotty. You can thank Scotty that that you you gave me a habit of how I rehearse to myself, how I tell myself the gospel of God's love for me. You are greatly loved, and because you are greatly loved, fear not. Do not be afraid. I'm reminded of Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom will I be afraid? Paul writes to young Timothy. He says, Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel or of me, his servant, but join in to the sufferings of the gospel. Why? Because God has not given us a spirit of fear. God has given us his spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Hebrews 13, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The angel tells Daniel to have peace, to be at peace. We're reminded that we can be at peace. We, first of all, because we have peace with God, that God has made peace with us, being justified, made right by faith in Jesus, we have peace with God. And so then he tells us, don't be anxious. Don't be worried. Don't fret. But with prayer and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Tell God what you need. Do what Daniel did. Pray. And what happens out of that? 
If I can lay this before the Lord, if I can trust him with that which I cannot do on my own, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard, garrison, fortress around our hearts and minds in Jesus. Be at peace. Isaiah 26 says, He will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord Jehovah, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. He tells Daniel to be strong and of good courage. To be strong and of good courage. You've heard that before with Joshua, right? Where the Lord stands before him and says, Joshua, you be strong and courageous. But did you know that David said it to his son Solomon as well? This is the kind of thing for fathers to pass on to sons, to to pass on to daughters from one generation to the next. And the angel reminds Daniel of it here, that Daniel needs to know this too because Solomon wasn't the only one to build a temple. David gave that charge to Solomon when Solomon was charged, called to build the temple that Daniel could not build. And so, so David says to Solomon, be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord God, even my God, is with you. Can you imagine Daniel, or rather David, passing that on to you? The Lord God, who was my God, he is with you. That is true. He will not leave you or forsake you. Jesus said, I am with you always. Be strong and of good courage. Solomon was the only one building the temple. Those in Daniel's day were to build the temple, and they were being opposed, and it was discouraging. It was upsetting. Daniel is discouraged, maybe losing hope, losing perspective. And the angel says to him, be strong and courageous, even as he told Solomon before. Daniel had been praying like Jeremiah, but now Daniel is strengthened like Joshua or Solomon, embarking on God's mission task. And that's kind of where we are. I told I mentioned before, last year when we were in that series in Haggai, I described that, that the Great Commission is a temple-building commission. The Ephesians describe the church which we are in the midst of building the body of Christ as we build up one another as followers of Jesus. We are building up a temple of worship to the Lord. This temple, this house of God is being built up by that which every individual part supplies, building together in love. We are in the temple building business. We have a temple building commission. And then what we are called to do in that A, is going to be opposed just like it was in Daniel's day. And B, you can be strong and courageous in it because your God is with you. We're not on our own here. Daniel is strengthened by a specific word from God to him. You are loved. Do not fear. Have peace. Be strong and courageous. There's truth he needs to know. And there's a call he needs to respond to. And Daniel's now strengthened to be able to hear. Daniel is strengthened now to be able to hear and to understand this message that he is given. As he spoke to me, it says, still in verse 19, I was strengthened, I said, let my Lord speak, for now you have strengthened me. 
Now Daniel is ready to understand this message he's going to be given in chapter 11. And that's, like I said, for another time. But we're meant to understand. We're meant to understand God's word. We're meant to feed on God's word and to understand it. And I, I've been reminded of that myself. And it's easy, it's easy to fall out of the habit. You know, a pastor can fall out of the habit. I'm busy reading and studying for what I'm going to share with you. I'm not necessarily reading devotionally to feed my own soul. And I was reminded of that just recently. I was reminded of a, of a model that I used to use. And some of you may have years ago heard me say this. No Bible, no breakfast. It's simply a good reminder, if I'm hungry, then get reading. Find something there to feed my soul first because that matters more. That's a priority above if I've got time for breakfast or not. No Bible, no breakfast, no read, no feed. Okay? And I, I throw that out to you not as a rule, not as a legalistic um, must-do, but as a priority to consider to remind yourself, let your stomach remind you that you long to know God, that you hunger for Him and to hear from Him and open His Word first. And I'll give you one model to use there. It's a model called HEAR. It's a model we use in a discipleship pattern here at Brush Prairie. HEAR. You can keep a journal. I keep a journal when I'm reading. I, when I'm reading just for myself, I just jot things down. I'm reading a chapter. There's a couple of verses in there. There's something in particular. There's, a, there's one verse that sort of is the core point that the chapter is, is pursuing. And uh, I'll highlight. There's the H in here. H-E-A-R. H. I will highlight that verse. I'll grab that verse. And now I've got to dig in. Okay, what does that mean? What did it mean in its context? I don't want to just grab a verse out of context and run sideways with it. What does it mean in the, in the flow of the chapter as a whole? What does it mean in the book as a whole? What did it mean, that truth, even that verse, what did that mean to the original audience that it was written to? Because from there, it's going to extend into how it applies into my life. And there's A. What's the application here? What does this do for me? Where does this speak to me? How does it relate to my life? For instance, Daniel fasted and prayed. Daniel did not eat, eat um, meat. He did not drink wine. He did not eat dessert. He did not um, comb his hair for three weeks. Okay? Maybe all of that's the pattern I should follow. Maybe my application is I also need to fast. I need, there's something I need to deny myself of as I'm praying concerning this matter. That's applying what Daniel did to what I need to do. And finally, there's a response. When I read in God's Word, when I'm instructed in God's Word, when I learn something of God or, or, or read a command, His call upon me, what is my response? What will I then do? If this is the application, how will I respond to it? What will I do? And the beauty of this is if you share that with others, if, you've, if you're journaling along and once a week you get together with some others and you share things that God has shown you out of his word, they share with you things that God has shown them and the response that his spirit provoked within you, you've got some accountability in how you walk in what you hear. Because we do need superhuman help. We are faced in a spiritual battle that is beyond us. And we are not up to the task. 
And so we are going to need to ask God for help, and we are going to need to be strengthened by his word. I can tell you two things that are true today, and they're going to be true tomorrow, and the day after that, and three weeks from now. You are going to need God's help in the midst of what you're going through. And you, you will be strengthened through it in God's word. Let's pray. Father, that then is our prayer. That like you did, Daniel, Lord, would you strengthen us out of your word. Father, would you take the things of your word, would you show yourself to us here? Father, even your care and hearing so quickly Daniel's prayer and responding to it, that we are not left alone, but that you send your angels as ministering servants sent for the sake of those who inherit salvation. Lord, we are those who have been given salvation in Jesus. And so you would send supernatural help on our behalf. And we thank you for that. Lord, strengthen us out of your word. Give us your truth, which is true, that we can stand on when everything around us is such an age of ambiguity. Father, strengthen us in your truth. Our prayer is, Lord, open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things that you have for us out of your word. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.